insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. Join us on our journey into the past, the present, and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Key Resources has the software and services to help you manage mainframe vulnerabilities. Our mission is to guarantee a return on our clients' security investments by minimizing their exposure to data and security risks. Learn more at kricurity.com. All right, here we go. This is Sean Martin, Editor-in-Chief for ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security here, and uh, today's topic is incident response. We're going to be breaking down what that is and uh, hopefully getting getting some insight from, uh, from two guests here that uh, will help you better prepare your team and your organization to uh, handle the things that are coming your way, whether you know it or not. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to take a moment here to introduce our two guests. We have Christy Westfall and Melissa Duncan. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So folks know who they're hearing from, the two voices that are on the other end of the line here. Uh, Christy, maybe a few words about yourself, if you could, please. Sure. Thanks, Sean. Um, My name is Christy Westfall, and I am currently the uh, Vice President of the Cybersecurity Incident Response Team at MUFG Union Bank. Um, one of the one of my passions is to try and take the insanity out of incident response. So I'm very excited to be here today to talk a little bit about that. Well, wow, that's a great way to put it. The in, take the insanity out. <laughs> well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the opposite of uh, dealing with ambiguity, which I think that there's. Yeah, we, maybe we'll touch on that. So anyway, uh, Melissa, thank you so much. Uh, maybe share a few few words about what you're up to. My name is Melissa Duncan, and I am currently the Vice President of the Security Content and Response Automation Team for MUFG Bank. I manage a talented team that's responsible for developing security content, incident response procedures, and response automation for our Global Security Operations Center. I am passionate about improving the incident response lifecycle through better alerting and intelligent automation, and I support using a risk-based alerting method to improve the fidelity of the alerts, as well as to paint a more holistic picture to analysts of what may have occurred. Nice, nice. Yep. So the, the looking back on what the heck happened, always a good thing. Uh, so I'm actually going to start with your comment, Christy, of insanity. And I, I, I hear this a lot from, well, we hear it in the context of burnout, right? Teams being burnt out. And maybe that is directly connected to insanity. So 
let's just start there. Why, why is it a world of insanity? Well, you know, everybody wants to treat everything like an incident, right? And if we don't know exactly what caused it, then, ooh, maybe it's a cyber incident. So I think um, one, of my, one of my kind of focuses is to, to, to reduce that insanity is, is in leadership um, within, a, within a security operations center. And it, it really needs to evolve, right? So number one, you need to clearly identify for an organization, what is an incident? Um, what's the impact of, of that event that just happened? And, um, and how much do you know as to what's, the, uh, what's truly going on? Is it truly a cyber incident? Are there other teams that need to be involved? So practicing um, response processes, the analysis, initial analysis up front, they're all crucial things. But um, let me go back to leadership for just a second. I'm not referring to any specific organization, but um, I've seen over and over again where uh, the SOC is forced to monitor things that don't add security value, right? So Melissa's talking about uh, risk-based alerting. Um, yeah, most of the SOCs are built on on rules that, you know, audit says, oh, you need to come in and you need to focus on this one minor sliver of the entire environment and, and, and monitor that. Well, it's very noisy typically because it, it's not necessarily been tailored to the organization. And it requires a lot of folks that, you know, or a lot of focus rather to resolve that incident. And that, that, that you're right, that totally leads to burnout because number one, people get bored responding to the same thing that they can't either do anything about or truly analyze and, and troubleshoot because they maybe they don't have the tools or there's really no um, way to do that. Um, so it just, it, we're not looking at risk. Right, we're we're looking at we're looking at well, what sounds good today uh, on the on the threat radar, and let's uh, let's uh, go after that. So I think leadership steps in in that leadership needs to support a true risk-based approach, a, a true analysis of that impact, and clearly articulating that to an organization is is just so critical. So that this is what your SOC does. Um, this is how we intake new new content. And this is how we'll dispense with it um, during an incident. And I'm wondering, Melissa, is, and both of you can comment on this, but is that a top-down leadership? Because what, what, I'm, what I'm wondering is there's, because we can collect data and then analyze it, we think we can't or we should and have to, right, collect everything. And maybe there's a need or reason and value to collecting everything, but that doesn't mean we have to deal with it all, all the time, right? So I'm wondering, kind of to this point of risk management or risk-based uh, approach and defining what's important, how does that happen? Is, it, is that driven by the data or is that a leadership team saying this is the most important thing to the business or is it a combination of the two? Honestly, I would say it's a combination of the two. Um, Christy touched on a really good point. Uh, Every, every year we have multiple audit assessments. Um, the audit assessment will identify a, um, a vulnerability or a gap that needs to be monitored. And instead of looking at the holistic, um, at the, at the holistic risk, the, they, the auditors demand that we immediately put a use case to cover that one application. So what would be, what would be great is if the auditors identified a risk brought it up to leadership, 
and leadership started a a project around that identified risk to see the full scope of it. So say an auditor has identified a brute force rule that needs to be written for one specific application, what instead could be um, called out as the risk of brute force needing to be monitored for all critical applications. Then from there, leadership can start to come up with a true plan. What are our critical applications? Um, the number one question that most security operation centers have been trying to get answered for years. Um, and then what coverage do we have of those critical applications for, say, brute force activity? Um, it, it, it really makes it, from my point of view with the, with the detection, it makes it a lot simpler because um, I'm able to write one fancy rule that rules them all instead of every time audit does an assessment, having to write a knee-jerk rule for every single one of their findings. First thing that comes to mind is you talk about brute force there. I'm thinking account takeover and fraud. Do we, do we ever get to those types of conversations when we're looking at response planning and, and actual activity day to day? You know, that, that's a great question. And I'm sure Melissa has thoughts on this too, but I have, I have thoughts um, for sure because another area that leadership really needs to um, focus on is making, you know, don't operate in silos. When you're talking fraud, honest to gosh, um, security operation centers don't, they don't get in on the fraud monitoring because in typical financial organizations, fraud is in, in a different silo somewhere else and they, they don't want to play with other folks and they tend to want to stay that way and stay in their lane. And it's a holistic um, problem, right? Cyber impacts many different areas. And, and to me, um, you're, you're doing the organization a disservice if you don't combine those areas. I'd completely agree with Christy. Um, I think one area that, like one kind of up and coming area that's starting to, to fill that gap is the insider threat or insider risk departments. Um, I, I feel like uh, they're that perfect medium between fraud and the security operations center that allows us to really start communicating to both the SOC and to the fraud departments what, what we're both seeing so that we can help each other identify the, the potential risks great for threat actors. And it, so what we're talking about here is two different types of risk, two different impacts to the business. One is maybe more availability and, and data protection. The other is protecting revenue. Um, clearly those have to bubble up together at some point, but do we see the, the separation there as a distribution of risk management? And what I'm trying to get at here ultimately is when we look at security, they're the three triad, the triad CIA, right? Where we're trying to protect the system and the data from compromise and, and loss of data and theft. So the, the, the confidentiality is there, the availability is there to some degree. What about the integrity? And I just, when I think of that, I'm thinking, okay, we probably don't focus on integrity much is my guess. And, but yet we have this strange need to not miss anything, right? We're going to, we'll be considered a failure if we let something through. So the risk level is 100% for everything <laughs> because that one, one thing that slips through is going to be the problem that costs us, uh, money as a company and perhaps uh, our jobs as an individual. So how do we balance that in the SOC where we, we need to really focus on what's important, but 
everything might seem important because that's the one thing that's going to be the problem. So that's where the risk-based alerting comes into place um, or into play. Like there is so much that we need to monitor to be able to detect, to detect the current threats. Um, one, one example that really kind of blew my mind uh, a few, few years ago when, when I was told I needed to start monitoring for it was a uh, screen uh, print screens. I needed to be able to detect, to detect when somebody was uh, using print screens to exfiltrate data. And um, I, at first when I was told I needed to do that, it, I laughed. Um, but once we started getting a little bit further along with risk-based alerting, um, it, it really made sense to me. I realized that I could write an extremely high volume rule that had a extremely small risk score, but I could take bits ab about the event to increase the risk score, um, such as what, what permissions does the user have that is doing the print screens? Um, what business unit are they in? Um, how often do they have they do they do print screens overall compared to today? And um, I was able to start increasing the risk score for my alerts based on indicators in the event. Um, so I, I to, to to answer your question, I, I would say risk based alerting is is how we can start to take on the noisier use cases. Um, anytime a change is made, we can write it into our risk index and we can start to increase the risk score for that user or that system to truly identify the risky events versus everyday events, admin events. Yeah, and I, just two points I want to uh, add on there. I think Melissa is completely on target there. Um, but two things. So You've, you've got to have the, the content. Sean, you talked about um, making sure, you know, we have all the data. Well, a lot of times socks don't have all the data they need. Um, so we need to make sure we have that, number one. And number two, um, we need to make sure we're, we're doing the proper level of analysis too. Um, Risk-based alerting is definitely going to help point in the right direction. But we have to be able to take the context of that entire event that, that the alerts are showing us and being able to dive in there and really truly understanding what's going on, right? So for example, um, uh, if you get an alert um, that uh, you've got a, an indicator that's, that's hit that, oh, somebody from inside the network tried to communicate to a command and control server outside the network, but you can't tell where, um, where the origination of that event came from, um, you're flying blind, number one. Uh, and number two, you don't really know if that true, if that indicator is truly bad, um, if somebody is truly has a compromised endpoint within your within your network, um, and if you don't have all that data, you can't put that whole thing together. Um, so you know you need to be able to 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 not just take that alert on face value and assume somebody's been compromised. You need to understand the full context of what that person did to initiate um, that transaction. And a lot of times we try to to automate, automate, automate to save you know, be efficient and, you know, save headcount or whatever the goal is there. But we have to be super careful when we do that because um, I, I rarely see something that happens 100% of the time for one reason. And, and that's why I think it's important that we enable and empower our SOCs to continue to do that. Yeah, interesting points. And th this, this whole print screen scenario I'm kind of, I may, I maybe not laugh is the right word, but I'm very curious about this because the, there's probably a business, but let's assume that 
the individuals not being nefarious and trying to steal customer data and take, take it to the next employer. There's probably a business process reason that they're taking a screenshot. So I'm wondering, do the security, does the security team and the SOC team perhaps feed data back to the business team to say, you have a process here that could be used nefariously and maliciously, and maybe there's another way to implement that piece of the process that eliminates that risk. So they're not printing screen, they're doing something else that captures that whatever that piece of information is that they need and, and automatically takes it and puts it in the place they need it rather than giving them ability to take it with them. So I'm wondering, do, do you have those types of, con- maybe not that specific one, but those types of conversation where you can say, this is just a bad process. Um, if we can eliminate this, we can free our team from having to monitor for it and figure out if it's risky or not. Oh, yes. Um, maybe not so much in the print screen. Uh, that that, <laughs> that would be a, a little bit harder of a, a problem to tackle, uh, especially because most of the time I, I would see them, it was around audit season and it was people getting evidence for the auditors. Um, but very much so. Um, I'll use the brute force uh, example. Um, so if we're starting to look at a a new application that we need to monitor for brute force and our initial our initial trending shows that these six accounts are constantly locking out uh, or not locking out but constant constantly failing to authenticate and their service accounts that won't lock out um what we do is we go back to the business and, and we point out the the issues that we're seeing um, and the potential pain points that it's going to cause our SOC to start monitoring. So we try to close the gap before we even monitor. Um, however, once we are monitoring a, a, a use case, um, something can change in the process. There can be a new person who's, a, who's employed that doesn't change uh, service account passwords as quickly as he should. Um, so we'll have to take the, that, that feedback back to the business and say, hey, We've started seeing some additional uh, failed fail, failed accounts from this or uh, failed logon attempts from this specific account. What can we do to work with the owner to prevent this from happening every time he changes a password? And and I want to add on that what Melissa has identified there is a a gap I've seen over and over. Somebody has to somebody some team there has to be ownership of that that process you're talking about, Sean, with um, uh, being able to have those conversations with the business and really narrow down um, how do we make this a better value, right? Um, Because so Melissa owns an engineering team. Um, It's a small team, right? Uh, We don't tend to put enough of that resource behind creating that content and making, you know, culling it so that it is at an appropriate level for, for, you know, adding that value. So uh, again, leadership, you know, we need to make sure that we scope those resources appropriately so that um, we're doing it the right way. We're not just, you know, we're not just plugging in our SIM and going, okay, go nuts. Um, And, and just (laughs) let all the rules be default. And, you know, we'll just respond to those. There's got to be some sense put into that. Well, let's just orchestrate it all and we can all go home. <laughs> Absolutely. One day, so one day. <laughs> yes. So let's stick with the leadership here because I, I want to, maybe it's uh, the ideal world. Maybe it's one that you've seen actually happen, <laughs> a real world in, in practice. What what does that, because you talked about there needs to be a team to help with that. Is there a team? Have you seen teams? Uh, what does that team look like? 
how do those conversations go or how should they go? You know, um, it's funny. I actually, I've seen some iterations of that, that, but again, it's never staffed properly. Um, the amount of thought and technical expertise that's needed on those teams is, um, it, it's, it's one of the, it's kind of like, I'm going to go off, off topic here a little bit, but it's kind of like um, machine learning and, and uh, data analysis, right? Like it's one of those really needed goes along with threat hunting. It's one of those needed services, but nobody ever has time to do it. And it's so proactively important to be looking and taking advantage of all that data you've got it. And it's just, it's one of those things we're already, we're always responding to things and we're never taking that time. So you, in my perfect world, and I keep trying to get there, you need something that focuses strictly on, um, on the, on the content management and you need it adequately staffed. And then you know, you need, you need somebody proactively looking and always looking, you know, how do we tune our rules? How do we um, make things better? And I know Melissa uh, is, is big on, um, you know, SOPs, standard operating procedures and making sure those are added. It's, it's just this ongoing cycle. Um, and if you don't staff it properly, then you never get ahead of it. And, and you're always kind of chasing it, which um, that's, that's some of the insanity I would love to get away from. I'd have to I'd have to build on to that a little bit. Um, so I, I I completely agree. And um, one I've been in environments where the content team was the sole or the content and the security operations team. They were solely responsible for filling the gaps for working with the business to prevent the alert from continuing to come into the channel. And that's an it, it's effective to an ex, an extent if you have proper staffing, it's effective. Um, I've also worked in areas where there's a hybrid. So the security operations center and the content developers, they work with the stakeholders to tune where, when, when there's an emergency, but also the, um, the data owner is a stakeholder in the rule itself, which it puts a little bit of the onus on the data owner to help provide feedback to the security operations center to either eliminate the false positives from a business uh, process change from their end or providing us the proper whitelisting and reasoning for those those events without my my analysts or my engineers having to hunt it down themselves they have more context into what their systems are doing and it makes more sense for them to help us keep our volume down so Let's connect insanity to standard operating procedure because one one can say if we just box everything this way, we can eliminate a lot of the stuff we don't care about. Maybe we should, maybe we shouldn't, who knows. But if we can put something in a nice box, at least we know we can try to eliminate the insanity. But that maybe perpetuates insanity, right? Where you're continuing to do something over and over and over and not getting a better result. So what I heard you just say, Melissa, is you deal with some emergency evaluations or assessments or analysis that maybe pull you out of some standard procedures that you have in place. So how do you, how do you first define that nice comfortable box and then also deal with the insanity or they not, not the insanity, the craziness <laughs> that throws that box to pieces uh, in, in, in a spur of the moment. So, um, when we're developing the use case, uh, it, it's important to understand or to communicate to our security operations center 
what risk are we trying to identify? What, what, what issue are we trying to find? How, and how do we fix that issue? Um, so with the SOP, we provide, or the standard operating procedure, sorry. Um, we provide uh, information about how to uh, analyze the event, um, but that can't be, we can't have all the steps in the SOP. Uh, otherwise what happens is um, our analysts end up doing a bunch of busy work. So they know, they'll, they'll know from historic investigations that something's a false positive, but they have to follow every single step in the SOP to come to the conclusion. Um, and, and that kind of will break the SOP, like like uh, you had mentioned. Um, and what we need to start doing is changing the way that, the, that we write those standard operating procedures to um, account for the known false positives and to work with the stakeholders to fix the false positives. Um, and that's something that I try to write into SOPs is when, when you identify a break, how do we fix it? Um, in addition to how do we respond to a security incident? Um, because a lot of, the, a, a lot of what I will see is the SOC will follow the, the standard operating procedures to a T and uh, never ever work with the data owner to fix the, alert that continues to come into the, their, their view, you know, 15, a hundred times a day. <laughs> well, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to have a, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit um, uh, for once. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So I, from incident response, you know, it, I, I get asked over and over again, well, where's your run book? Um, did you, did you bring out the run book when, uh, when you were responding to whatever? And, and I, uh, and I go, well, runbooks are good for providing general guidelines on how to respond to an incident. But every incident, I don't care how many malware or how many phishing or how many whatevers you get, is going to be different, right? It depends on how it would hit, um, what's it doing now, how do we contain, you know, it's always going to be different. To me, the, the reducing the insanity is practicing your... Um, Practicing how to think on your feet and practicing how to do analysis under pressure um, because those are critical, right? If you can't safely and um, accurate, mostly, you know, I mean, even, even accuracy is difficult when you're under fire because you're getting bombarded by 10 different people at one time. I need this, I need that. And you're trying to run an incident and you're trying to do analysis and analysis has to be kind of, focus. Um, so you've got to, you've got to kind of learn how to, to do that. And that's, I think to me, where you reduce a little bit of the insanity is you have some level of process. And if, you know, if you've got a good run book, you can lean on it to go, okay, what did I forget to do um, in the, in the middle of the fire? Um, but I would never, the first thing I never, some people are going to hate me for saying this. I never pull out a run book when something's on fire, <laughs> I go by what's in, what's instinct, you know, what do I, what do I know I need to do first, second, third. And, and, and instinct is also built through practice, right? It's not just the gut feeling. It's something you've probably experienced in some fashion or another and you use two words that are not connected. And as Melissa was talking, I was thinking this too, that it's about critical thinking, right? You need to, in the moment, understand, okay, th this is what I'm seeing. Let me, what What's the impact going to be? Is this really risky? And what's the impact going to be? And hopefully you've had some some practice dealing with something similar. 
I'm, I'm you use the word fire. I'm thinking back to fi- fighting a fire. There are some things you should do. There are some things you shouldn't do. If you don't know what those are as the baseline, you're probably going to be in a lot of trouble, right? So you may not pull out the the run book to say don't open the window during a fire because it's going to feed it with oxygen, right? You, exactly. you you've probably practiced that and you know that it's been been drilled into you. So you just don't do that. But then there's that critical thinking piece that that the standard operating procedure isn't going to deal with, um, that you know, automation and orchestration isn't going to deal with. So how do you how do you connect that where you empower your team to think critically and think on their feet, as you said, Christy, um, in a way that that's going to rapidly respond. We haven't touched on MTT uh, uh, R, right? How, how quickly do we do this? <laughs> I don't even know if that's a measurement, but maybe we can talk about it as well. But how, how do you empower your team to think critically, safely for themselves, and empowered to be, to take a chance that they're going to do something good when, in fact, yeah, it, it could go wrong, but, but hopefully it goes well. That, that comes down to me to culture, right? Um, because if you encourage a culture of, of collaboration, of critical thinking, um, and you practice that, uh, and you, you have a team that feels comfortable challenging each other with their you know, hypothesis during an incident, um, because the one thing I always say too is you, you're, you, sometimes you're never gonna know what, what, where an incident started um, why it really happened, um, what truly all the, all the impact, what, you know, everybody wants the, the root cause. Well, okay. Um, maybe I can't tell you what if it's, you know, uh, you know, a, an IP address it's from behind an IP address that somebody's rented. I'm never going to find that out. You know, those kinds of things. So you, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and, and you have to, from again, from a leadership perspective, encourage that, environment because um you're you're probably you know if if your leadership isn't um comfortable with that kind of um uh process or or culture then um your staff isn't gonna feel comfortable doing that you know um i i i used to be i used to be a very hesitant decision maker um i overthink uh, a lot of things but I've, i've learned over time you have to make decisions on the information that you have available to you. And you do that by making sure that you, you know, get, get the folks, get collaboration, get, you know, here's the best options for what you've got to deal with right now. And you make a decision based on that. And yes, you're going to make wrong decisions. Um, I will tell you that right now. It's not a secret, Um, but you made a decision and you acted and that's the important thing. And it takes me back to, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Melissa, maybe based on what I say here, because one of the lessons I learned early on in my career when I was at Symantec running programs, building products was that you're going to have to this point, you you have to make decisions based on the information you have. You have to deal with ambiguity. And the, the question comes down to what's the impact of not making that decision versus making it right uh, as a guess and, and it turns out correctly versus having to remake that decision later. So it's a quick analysis of, I don't have enough to make a decision, but I'm going to make it anyway. I'm, and with that, you might change your forward-looking plan to say, I might have to make this decision again, right? So you prepare for that. So I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that, Melissa. Yeah, so um, one thing to kind of uh, support both what, what you and Christy said, um, 
in, in intelligent automation for our events that um, kind of will help with the decision making. Having uh, an SOP, an automated SOP that will pull all of the information up front for the analyst has 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 the indicator um, been uh, alerted in the past. Um, what other information have we seen with maybe the the host name, the IP information? Um, automatically run queries that'll help provide context for the analyst. That way, when they get the alert, they're able to quickly make a or they're able to more effectively make a judgment call of whether it's good or bad. But to 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 fill the gap, like if it happens again, well, we already identified that we have a gap. We we have a gap in understanding. Um, who the original source was or um, somewhere along the line, we don't have the context the analyst needs. So what we need to start writing into the process is reaching back out to our engineering team to see how can we fix it. Um, if, if, if we're getting an alert behind an added IP, what do we need to do to our infrastructure to be able to get the visibility that the SOC needs to be able to correctly make the decision? Because they, they will, they will make mistakes um, that that's, that that's part of being an analyst. But when we identify that a mistake has been made, we need to figure out a way to make it so that that mistake isn't as easy to make in the future. And maybe this was your point earlier, Christy, in, in that you might have all the information, maybe not all, a lot of the information you need to detect and to raise that alarm that there's an incident, but not necessarily all the information you need to adequately and quickly respond to it. Yeah, and sometimes you have too much information too. Mm. <laughs> so that that gets down to the okay, well, what do I take from here that's really important and, and meaningful to this? So it's you know, sometimes you have to 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 know what to even look for from that perspective. I but I agree with Melissa on the, that's one automation I tro- I very much support is what what do we have available that we can quickly suck into that event to really make sure that we've got everything that possible um to to make that decision and then try and call it from there so you know it's a it's a it's a fine line and it's a combination and you just have to to continue to work on that i guess maybe i don't know maybe that's a good segue into into metrics is yeah. you know how how many so mean time to respond is a is a, is a tough metric um you know there's you know, what, when do you, when do you start saying that you're responding? Is it as soon as the event came in or was it when you escalated it to a certain team? Um, and then the other problem with that I have is um, as an incident responder, it sometimes takes weeks to completely close out a ticket um, because you're relying on other teams to get mitigation actions completed. So, uh, you know, you, you, you definitely want to look like, hey, I'm, I'm doing something with this. But, you know, my response rate might be, you know, two weeks or a month or whatever it takes. So, uh, you know, measuring how effective you are, it, it's such a challenge. But I think, I think the key there is to just start, start with something. And, you know, if you're not moving the bar or, or you're finding maybe more problems or maybe you found the, the right problem that you're trying to fix, um, you know, adjust accordingly. So that's, it's a, it's a tough one. Now, now there are other metrics because to that point that, that, that seems to be activity driven, right? When, as we've discussed thus far, all the things you're talking about is a risk-based view of dealing with this. And then we go back to, a number thing, 
uh, which isn't tied back to risk. So I'm wondering, is there are there other metrics that we should be looking at in terms of uh, we reduce the loss of or reduce downtime of the system, regardless of how long it took us to close the ticket? The system wasn't down for five minutes. It was only down three minutes this time or only two gigabytes or of data instead of two terabytes of data. <laughs> right. Got so are there other, or fraud has, uh, was reduced last quarter uh, because of these, uh, these response measures. So is it, is it per ticket? Is it a grander thing? Is it, how do we tie it back to risk in the business? I guess is the question. You know, I really like that idea. I'm going to steal it now uh, because well, I'm going to get, I'm going to get killed again, but um, the metrics that come out of socks you know, okay, great. You were, you met your SLAs, you know, does senior management really care about that? Uh, I don't know. I don't often get a lot of feedback on, on stuff like that. Um, but if I can say effectively, I, you know, because of my, you know, our actions and response here, the fraud went down by X amount um, here, then that that's meaningful, right? That's a meaningful conversation or, you know, um, this incident cost, you know, it, 20 people spent 80 hours responding to X incident over, over you know, collectively. Um, and that's, you know, so many dollars per hour that you, you, you're, you're using on that resource. Those are, those are some metrics that maybe we should be taking on that, right? um, Because the more people, you know, the big parties that you get with your incident response just to see, you know, we're not sure who's involved, but we'll get everybody on a call kind of thing. Um, that could be pretty pricey. And maybe that's that's something that we shouldn't be doing. Again, back to the insanity part. Um, <laughs> Melissa, any thoughts on that? I love the story that you could tell leadership, honestly, about the value of, 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 of your program um, with gaining those kind of metrics. When, when asked, what are you doing? You can not only point at, oh, look at the look at the rules and the SOPs that I've got in place, but also look at the look at the the business value that my team is providing. The these events that we have have reduced our fraud, have 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 produ- uh, reduced the commodity scanning against our environment. Just anything to really paint the picture. I I love it. I'm trying to figure out how I can implement it in my own sim. <laughs> Stealing your ideas, Sean. Stealing your ideas. There there you go. Well, that's the challenge, right? Is we're we're there. We, I wish I was, sometimes I wish I was a practitioner in the trenches. So I'll say we, uh, we we want to be there to protect the business. We're not there to stop an attack or prevent an insider threat from uh, succeeding. Uh, we're there to protect the business, whether it be revenue growth or uh, revenue that was generated or uh, loss of loss of revenue or customers, whatever it might be. So I'm always interested in figuring out how how can we take the tactical day to day and and connect that back to something that that matters to the uh, the top line. So uh, I think, I mean, I, I can keep chatting forever here, but we we're. Uh, we're well into this now time-wise. Um, I'd be very happy to, to continue the conversation and maybe dig in deeper to, I mean, I have tons of questions on how to, how to actually define the standard operating procedures and who writes the rules and a lot of even more technical stuff we can get into. But I, I think we have a pretty good, pretty good wrap here. I'm going to leave it with each of you a final word. Maybe let's go back to the beginning 
all the way to leadership again. Maybe a few a point from each of you on how a security program leader should engage with their SOC leader to maybe take some of the things that you've seen work and and uh, and make a better make a better uh, IR program. Um, listen to to your security ops leader. You know where are their pain points and. Let's uh, let's work together to um, make a make a true plan to you know, how do we allocate the resources? How do we keep our team engaged so we don't have high turnover? How do we how do we know that we are responding and detecting to uh, the right events and incidents? Let's let's have those conversations. I would say uh, it'd be nice to have the the full scope of the risk that we're trying to solve that way we can properly like like Christy said properly um, resource uh, have the proper timelines and really put put the due diligence and care needed into solving the issue versus putting in a band-aid which is just going to cause a lot of noise for the SOC um, using a risk-based approach to prioritize what content we're putting in place, what, what standard operating procedures need to be created or corrected, and what automation needs to be implemented to provide value for our SOC, more than just auto-responding and closing out tickets. We didn't really get into the automation. I'm so, ah, I need more, I need more. But anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll leave this one here. We'll leave this one here. You're both wonderful, fabulous. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with me and us today. Um, lots of good nuggets here. Hopefully hopefully, folks take with them. And, and we, we like to say, if we get you to think, listening to this podcast, we've done our job. And I think we've done that. So thank you, Christy and Melissa. Thank you. Key Resources has the software and services to help you manage mainframe vulnerabilities. Our mission is to guarantee a return on our clients' security investments by minimizing their exposure to data and security risks. Learn more at krisecurity.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.